We made this. And welcome to Without a Mouse, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live-action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. I'm your host, Tim. Hello. And I'm joined by a guest that's very special to me. It is my good friend, Dana Galbraith. Hello, Dana. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, actually, yeah. Good. Um, I'm so glad to have you on the show because um, we kind of used to have, for a very short time when I still lived in York, a bad movie club, didn't we? We did. That was great. But it kicked off just before I moved, which is such a disappointment because I think it could have been something that could have grown and blossomed and flourished into something brilliant. But we only got about three or four uh, shows in, didn't we? (laughs) We did, but I think we picked some real corkers. I will never forget frogs. That will live with me for life. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, yeah, we've been sorting through our DVD collection and we've actually got your frogs DVD at this end. (laughs) It's obviously moved with us without us realising. That's because how could you ever let that go, you know? Exactly, yeah. What else did we watch? We watched... Started with The Room, didn't it? Got people yes. around who had never seen The Room. I'd never seen The Room until we watched it then, and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, then Frogs. Then we watched something else, I think. I can't remember. Oh, we what. watched Troll 2. Oh, shit. Yeah, we did, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. We went for all the big hitters. <laughs> yeah, all, all, the, all the good, bad films. Exactly. I've been um, keeping up my... Uh, Bad Movie Club vibes by watching a lot of Mystery Science Theatre 3000 on Netflix. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know Ooh, if... That should be the next club. What, just the Mystery Science Theatre Club? Yes, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've got some new series on Netflix and it's still just as stupid as it always has been. It's brilliant. That's what you need at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, right. So there's a few questions that we ask all our new guests, one of which is, on a scale of Chris to Tim, what kind of a Disney fan are you? But to be honest, I honestly don't know where I fall on this line anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm sort of halfway between. I'm not Chris because <laughs> I grew up on Disney. I actually grew up watching a lot of the live action Disneys. Right, okay. So um, when I saw that you were doing the computer wore tennis shoes, I was very excited, the first one. Um, I've saw I grew up on Haley Mills, so Pollyanna, you oh, know right, good. Yeah. that darn cat. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on Disney, but I haven't really stayed with it as an adult. Yeah, which I've is mainly common. watched it with children. Yeah. Well, I have friends that actually have a Disney room in their house. They have oh, a shit. Star Wars room and they have a Disney room, and then they have like their bedroom and then they have their baby's room. So you know that takes up that is how much they love Disney. Um, wow. And as an adult, I just haven't really stuck with it, I guess. That's understandable. You're not really supposed to, I don't think. (laughs) But these days, I think you are. I think, you know, people, you have grown up on it. So it sort of becomes part of people's identity in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's something that we just forget about until someone mentions it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. (laughs) And then it turns out you've got really strong opinions on Jafar and Iago that you didn't know you held. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'll have to get into that conversation another time. <laughs> so, um, what is your Mount Rushmore of Disney characters as well? So, if you're a live action gal, is that going to take precedent here? Well, no, actually, I I had the perfect answer until about 10 minutes before we started recording, when I suddenly <laughs> had a revelation that my Mount Rushmore is about white female nepotism. <laughs> because I was going to choose Mary, uh, Flora, Fauna and Meriwether from right. Sleeping Beauty, my yeah. favourite fairies, and then the godmother from Cinderella. Okay, yeah, yeah. But then I realised, as I was making the cup of tea that I have now beside me, that actually... That's all about being an entitled white woman whose <laughs> life is made easier by other entitled white women with magical powers. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, I've so bought into that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. It's like childless older white women. They're just there to make the lives easier of pretty young ones. Yeah. <laughs> but what? where did you go after this then once you'd had this revelation? Then I started thinking about the fact that actually the female antagonists of the film should probably be on Mount Rushmore because they're the ones that subvert that narrative. Like Maleficent actually is possibly, the, I mean, I know the live action Maleficent kind of slightly argues this, but she's actually probably the heroine of the film because what she's saying is, I'm sorry, I'm not here to serve the royal family. I'm upending the social order. I'm going to put an end to this dynasty and I'm going to bring revolution to this country. Yeah. I'm going to give this country a hundred years to reassert itself. But obviously, as we know, the dominant social order always reasserts itself. <laughs> so she ultimately fails. So I think now it would probably be Maleficent, the stepmother from um, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, those two look good together, actually. They'd make a quite cute couple. <laughs> um, and then probably, actually, I would go for the a couple of downtrodden sidekicks. So All Iago right. is my favourite evil sidekick. Nice. I think he's brilliant. So I think I'd probably go for Iago and possibly, oh, what's the cat from Cinderella? Oh, I know what you mean. Oh, God, I can't yeah. remember what it's called. Shall I look it up? Let's, yes, let's... look it up. Look it up. Sorry, I'm making this very more complicated than it needs to be, but you know me, I can't <laughs> not overthink everything. Cat Cinderella name. <laughs> the cat is called Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it'd be Maleficent, Evil Stepmother... Um, Iago and Lucifer. There's a, um, a little happy lesbian family. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of um, a lot of what's the word? There's a lot of fandom for the villains that's been really popular recently to the point where now at the Disney parks they often do villains nights where you can pay extra to go in and then basically <laughs> meet all of the villains. So That's amazing. That's such a good idea. So, but I mean, just think about what's going on in the world at the moment. It is kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing the established social order being broken down. And people who are often portrayed as villains yeah. because of racism, um, <laughs> asserting their, their power. So maybe it's time for bitter, childless women to do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> and as you know, those are my peeps. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've definitely got a type. <laughs> yeah, I do. And apparently it's gothy as well. I like the gothy with the high cheekbones. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, do you want to tell everyone what film you picked for us today? So I picked the 1960 version of Kidnapped. Yeah. 
um, which is um, not the only version of Kidnapped. There are many versions of Kidnapped out there, but obviously yeah. this is the only Disney one. Um, and this stars it was directed by Robert Stevenson, who yeah. also wrote the screenplay, yeah. um, and stars James MacArthur as Davy Balfour. It does. And there's also Peter O'Toole in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, his very first role as well. Yeah, and apparently was sort of deliberately shoehorned into the role. Um, I can't remember if it was Stevenson who saw him and was like, no, we've got to have this kid on the film. He's going to make it big. And uh, he did. But I mean, it's quite a an amazing cast, really. It's got um, Neil McGuinness, who's quite a famous Shakespearean actor of the day. Mm-hmm. You've got sort of, it's it's a ridiculous roll call for what is a very silly film. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, you go. No, go. I was just going to say, it's even got Bernard Lee, who played M. Which, if you're a Bond fan, obviously, oh, is quite Oh, shit, impressive. it does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I didn't even pick up that's who it was. <laughs> but right, yeah. So, this is the point where I usually ask, well, I'm still going to ask you why you picked this film. And but just before we start, I want to I wanna preface this question by saying you better have a really fucking good <laughs> answer for this. Because trying to find this fucking film has been an absolute nightmare. Because... Disney just apparently seems to not give a shit about it at all and has swept it completely under the rug because it's not available on Disney Plus. It's not available even to purchase or rent on Mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, We both struggled to get it on DVD even because Mm. I bought it um, as soon as you made the suggestion, which was probably like the beginning of last year now, <laughs> feels like, um, before the end times. And even that took a month to arrive. And then I was, um, over a month ago now, I was halfway through watching it, preparing for our episode the next day, when you rang me to let me know, by the way, I've still not managed to get my DVD. And that was over a month ago, and it's just arrived, hasn't it? <laughs> It has, yeah. So this has been quite an epic journey. Um, I chose it simply because I remember watching it when I was about 11 or 12 and I'd just read Kidnapped and was very excited to sort of see a film of Kidnapped because I love Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, I loved him particularly at that age because obviously he's a children. I mean, these are children's books. Yeah. So they're perfect, like little boys own adventure type books. Um, And I just remember really enjoying it when I was a kid. Mm hmm. So, so you yeah. haven't seen this film before this time. You you just read the book. Is that what you're saying? No, I'd read the book and then I watched that these films used to be on on sort of sun, Sunday afternoons. Right. So that's how I saw things like Pollyanna and things like that was they would be on on sort of Channel Four on a Sunday afternoon. And if you look at the weather today, when it's you know teeming with rain and mm-hmm. a brushish, sort of brushish Sunday, that's the kind of film that we were allowed to watch. Mm. You know, we weren't allowed to watch a lot of stuff, but we were allowed to watch old Disney films. I think because my mum liked Hayley Mills. Yeah. So, yeah. And this was a classic, so that was okay. You know, it was based on a book. And also, like, um, it's all set in uh, Bonnie Scotland. It is. Um, I feel the weather is uh, has purposely been particularly Scottish today. Like, I think that's why it's all wet <laughs> and horrible. Uh, it's, it's in honour of us watching this film. And um, you're actually Scottish as well. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to translate half of the conversations <laughs> that I had to watch about three or four times and still not know what the hell was going on. 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the film is that I had forgotten how you've got the hammy Scottish accents. Yes. So you've got, you know, you've got poor old James McCarthy, who's American and he's the only American in it, um, doing one of the worst Scottish accents I've ever heard. <laughs> he gives it a good go, but it's, it's terrible. And then you've got the hammy, you know, theatrical English actors doing their version of Scottish accent. Yeah. And then you've got the actual Scottish actors. It's a lot. It's quite... it, it bounces about quite a lot in terms of accents, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. As, as does the book, because the book moves from the Highland, the Lowlands to the Highlands to Edinburgh. So the book itself, um, actually, in terms of the dialect that Stevenson uses, shifts quite significantly. Right. Uh, depending on who's speaking. Because it is um, quite plot driven where whereabouts in scotland we are at the time isn't it yeah because it... but it's not always made clear no <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh and and now you're in edinburgh like how did that happen yeah and i think as well um i suffered in this film in the same way that i suffer with a lot of um shakespeare in that the language is incredibly flowery um mm-hmm. and everyone spends a long time to say nothing and i prefer dialogue when it's a little bit more direct than this um so coupled with the flowery language the dialects and the accents and (laughs) and having to know thousands of years of scottish history before going into this film um i really struggled because it it this this film does assume you know the history of scotland (laughs) Yes, and I think one of the things that it suffers from is Robert Stevenson, as I said, directed and wrote the screenplay. Um, and he's obviously such a fanboy yeah. of this book yeah. that it doesn't even occur to him that somebody wouldn't know about the Jacobite rebellions. <laughs> yeah. Like, that doesn't even cross his mind that he might want to put some context into this film. He's just like, here's the story, you're all going to know it, everybody knows the story because it's amazing. Yeah. And it's like, no, Robert, not everyone knows this <laughs> and also this is a film for children exactly oh dear exactly but to, to give i mean you're talking about the language i mean the book itself was written in the late 1800s yeah and is set 130 years in the past yeah so even when stevenson wrote it the the dialogue is a little bit stilted yeah yeah because it wouldn't have been the language of his day no it's very confusing um, talking about this film because obviously the f- the book was written by Robert Louis Stevenson and it was yes. written and directed by Robert Stevenson. <laughs> no relation, but <laughs> no relation, but um, but yes, a namesake. Um, but yeah, so RLS, let's call him that, yeah. was deliberately writing in an archaic style. Yeah, and you can you can definitely see that when it comes to Alan Breck. Yes. Um, yeah. The way he speaks is 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 very Shakespearean. It's very you know like enunciating to the back row. You know, really. Yeah. A vast there, villain and all this kind of thing, and it's like, no, it's not naturalistic speech <laughs> at all. No. Anyway, shall we shall we get cracking on with it? Shall we just get <laughs> yeah. stuck in? That's enough preamble. Let's do it. Yeah, because it's <laughs> it's another typical Disney hour and a half, which. I'm very glad, because if it was any longer, I would have probably killed myself. We must be fast on board. 
welcome to my ship, Mr. Balfour. And now let me show you the lie of her. Mind you, she's only a small trading brig, sailing for the most part from here to the Carolinas. But she's home to me, Mr. Balfour. That's my berth. And since the mates are never off duty together, they use the other, turn and turn about. Here I keep the more valuable of the ship's stores, brandy, for instance. And to tell the truth, my first mate's only too fond of that. And here, pistols, powder and shot. You never know what sort of ruffian you may ship among your crew. Over here, we've Wasn't got... there something you were going to tell me? Something about my uncle? Was there, young man? Was something about my old friend, Mr. Ebenezer? Where is my uncle? That's the point, young man. Come back! Come back! Bring back that boat! We start off with a young lad in a tricorn hat and he's off to a grave site of um, a dude called Alexander Balfour, which was apparently a good man, as we keep being told. Good man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was his dad. So it's Davy Balfour that we're we're talking to. Uh, he's our main character. Um, then, yeah, David's sort of having a chat with this old dude. Who we I don't I don't know who this old dude was. He was just the, a dude. the old dude is the <laughs> minister and the he's Mister Campbell, which is important for the plot of the film. Oh, it is, isn't it? I didn't it's pick a, up yeah. on him being a Campbell because they really don't mm. bring it up later. But yeah, um, and basically, Davy's like, I'm off, mate. I'm not sticking around here. My dad's dead. Who cares? I'm gonna go and live my own life. Um, and the, the note I'd put here is that the, it, I just put bad Irish slash Scottish because at this point I didn't know where we were supposed to be set. So Because nothing tells you. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah, my note said, come back, Mel, all is forgiven. <laughs> Not all. <laughs> um, and then the minister brings up that Davy has this inheritance and that he should go to the House of Shores, which is a place mm-hmm. he's never even heard of, um, which apparently he's entitled to. Um, and so it's just like, yeah, off you pop. Tatty bye. We'll see you later. And mm-hmm. um, the, <laughs> the word I've written here is I've just put gibberish. Yes, sir. So I'm assuming <laughs> what that means is someone said something that I just literally did not understand. Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's probably when the minister says something to him like, dinner shame us, lad, dinner shame us. Oh, probably something like that, yeah. <laughs> You're a country-born lad, but there's no shame in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's going to be a... my version of a terrible accent. <laughs> it, it was a long, long slog, this film, even if it was only an hour and a half. But, yeah, so then he... he... Passes a scrap merchant on his way and's like, Oi, mate, which way to the House of Shores? Um, and the scrap merchant tells him that nobody's living there um, except, what have I written? Except the laird and that you should steer clear. Um, so apparently there is somebody still living there that he's never heard of. Um, then after that, he passes a lady carrying a big bundle of sticks um, and she warns him, um, typical kind of 
mysterious old crone roll this <laughs> um, don't go near the castle <laughs> yeah blood built it blood stopped the building blood will bring it down i curse it and she says she's cursed it something like 1200 times so i was like well it's not a very good curse then is it if you've had to do it that many times and it's not worked like <laughs> or has it well maybe it has yeah mm. um then actually just thinking on that bit blood built it blood stopped the building blood will bring it down that's not kind of relevant to the plot of this film i thought it would be like a bit of a foreshadowing of something but it not, well, i don't know really. if you think about it in a more metaphysical sense like blood as in family i suppose family built it family stopped the building mm. and who brings it down so davy yes i suppose yeah and but that's actually, me thinking like a literature student, not like a film person. <laughs> actually, as well, I've kind of made the assumption, because when we get there, it is a dilapidated old building. Mm. And I've kind of just made the assumption that it's fallen down out of disrepair. But if blood stopped the building, maybe it was just never finished. Yeah, I think the implication is that when Davy's father left... Oh, sorry, spoilers. Um, <laughs> when when Davy's father left, that's when the building stopped. Ah, you see, I'd not I'd not made that connection until right now. All right, we'll let the old lady off. She doesn't know what she's talking about. No, I think she's completely insane. But, you know, <laughs> she is also a great character. Like, there's something about old crones and thunderstorms that I will always... Yeah. Well, coming back to Maleficent, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe that's her in disguise. <laughs> then um, he arrives at the house. Yeah, it's a big dilapidated manor. And there's rats running around and crows outside. Um, and as he knocks on the door, a uh, a rifle is pushed out of a window by an old man. Um, and Davy explains that he's got this letter that explains that he has entitlement to the House of Shores. Um, and it's his, we learn that it's his uncle, Ebenezer, who mm. spends the whole film in a nightgown and a nightcap. And I thought, well, what, what is it with people called Ebenezer and walking around in their pyjamas all the time. I think that's a deliberate yeah. cut back to <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> but it works but, for yeah. the crazy old man that lives in the house. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so he explains that he's his uncle and his dad had never told him about him, um, but they'd kind of had a big falling out um, and that's why. And basically Ebenezer was uh, is the owner of the house, apparently. Yes. Then they go to bed. Then the next day, um, he's having a wash in the well and they're having a breakfast of porridge because Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and and because, because poor as well. Well, no. Yeah, I only wish that wasn't actually, like, quite culturally true. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you have for breakfast this morning, Dana? <laughs> um, actually, I had Cheerios because, you know, I live in England and I'm allowed to. <laughs> I, I had honey nut loops. Oh, like the nice. big kid I am. Um, yeah, so um, Ebenezer explains that um, his dad had sinfully rebuilt this house with um, the estate, um, which he shouldn't have. Uh, what does that say? My notes are shocking for this film. I can't even <laughs> read them. He basically accuses Alexander of being a bit of a spendthrift. Yes, that's And right. wasting the estate's money. Oh, then he, that was it. He says that, you know, old Sticky Sue outside, she said that something about blood. Um, 
<laughs> and Ebenezer's like, fuck that. Like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> um, He's actually great. Um, did you recognise him? I felt like I did, but... So he is um, John Laurie. He is a Scottish actor, and he ended up playing James Fraser on Dad's Army. We're all doomed. Oh, shit, of course. Mm. Yes, that's yes. where I knew him from. You know what? Yeah. In my head, he was really reminding me a bit of Fagin from Oliver, but I think they've got a very oh, similar face shape. Definitely deep set eyes, yeah. long straggly grey hair. I mean, he's obviously aged up here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. very, very much that, that Fagin Scrooge vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Then... Uh, God, these notes are fucking terrible today. <laughs> yeah, so he's going out, sorry. Ebenezer's going to go out today, um, and he's got too much in the house, so his plan is that he's going to have to lock Davy outside whilst he goes. Um, and Davy obviously gets pissy at this and says, if you do, I'm off for good. And, you know, so mm-hmm. Ebenezer says, all right, I'll, I'll stay, then I won't go out. And then suddenly we've gone from breakfast straight to night time. Um, <laughs> and, as you do yeah and Davy's kind of approaching Ebenezer because basically looking at documents and dates and things he's realized that you know based on Ebenezer's age his dad must have been about four when he was writing all these notes and so basically we learn later on that dad was actually the older brother and mm-hmm. technically um owns the manor but Ebenezer's, uh, we we got it. yeah he's got it, but we don't know why at this point. Um, and then Ebenezer's like tries to change the subject by sort of saying, "Don't talk about my your dad because I'm sad that he's dead." And it's like, "No, you're not, mate. Come on, we're not <laughs> stupid." Um, and then I've put, "I don't know what the fuck's going on." Is the note that I've just made so. <laughs> Um, well, he tells Davy that if he goes up to the tower... Yes, that's it. If you go up the tower, there's a chest at the top that will tell you everything. Um, mm-hmm. But this is where... Yeah, the tower is unfinished, so Davy... But he won't let him take a light. Oh, that's yes. That's very important. Because yeah. he, he doesn't... He does From the moment Davy arrives, he, there's only like f- light from the fire. Yeah. And Ebenezer tells him he doesn't believe in light because it's unnatural. Yeah. Very, very, very miserly, this guy. Any excuse not to spend a penny. Um, Exactly. Yeah, so Davy manages to come down without dying, (laughs) which upsets Ebenezer, and he's like, oh, shit, you're still alive. Um, Yeah. That bit's actually kind of horrific, because he's sitting there drinking the whiskey with this look of kind of half horror, half glee on his face. Yeah, it's really spooky, isn't it? Mm. And yeah, he kind of makes a big deal about his having a bad heart. And he's again, he's trying to change the subject to make himself the victim of him trying to murder his own nephew kind of shit. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, and obviously Davy wants answers, but Ebenezer again deflects and says, Let, I'll tell you in the morning, let's have a kip first. Um, and then once Davy goes to bed, he actually locks Davy in his room. Yeah. Um, then the next day, uh, Speaking of terrible accents, we now get our first uh, awful Cockney accent. Watch you, mate. I'm the cabin <laughs> boy from this ship over there. Oh, dear. It was like um, it made Dick Van Dyke's 
accent in Mary Poppins sound good. <laughs> you're, you're being very kind there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a little cabin boy. I'm just scrappy but poor, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, artful dodger this kid is not. <laughs> but yeah, he comes with a letter for um, Ebenezer and basically says that he was... Um, He's come from the captain of this ship, whose name I have not written down anywhere. Mr. Hornsey, I think it is. That's Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Captain Ho Season, actually, because uh, it. it made me think of Ho Season holidays. Made me think of the old adverts <laughs> for uh, camping at the British seaside. Um, uh, yeah, and he's staying in a local inn and need to see Ebenezer. So they go to the inn and whilst they're there Davy meets um, a lawyer called Mr Ransler who knew his dad and kind of explains a bit about how this is where we learn his dad was older nobody liked Ebenezer but they'd come to a deal and it's all legit essentially Mm -hmm. Um, so there's nothing much that Davy can do then they go they get taken off to the ship with Captain um, and this is where we get kidnapped Yes. Well, the captain kind of comes to Davy and says, look, you can't trust your uncle. Yeah. But if you come on board with me, I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah. And Davy being very young and very, very dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he jumps on board and then the they row away with Ebenezer. So basically he, um, Davy's been kidnapped and gets beaten up as soon as he's on the ship, which looked pretty brutal, actually. It was a good uh, mm-hmm. thuggish thudding going on as they were smacking him about. Um, then we kind of get the MTV Cribs scene where they're showing him around the ship, <laughs> but <laughs> it was very sixties in that it was a a matte painted background that was completely static, and the boat was completely still despite being on the water. Like you could tell, it was very clearly yes. a set. <laughs> it was it was definitely Pinewood Studios. Yeah. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But then we actually go from that to some pretty decent model work. Um, we see quite a few shots in throughout the film of um, a little boat on the water. And it, it it's very Thunderbirds, these bits, I thought. Well, actually, they're not models. Um, what? They, they filmed on location. They couldn't film in Appen, but they filmed those on location in Oban. You are shitting me. I'm not. No, no, that's Mull in the background. Well, in that case, then they're... These shots are terrible because... Because I think that's why they didn't often shoot in location in those days, because the filming was so awful that it makes everything look like a model. It really did. I thought it was a model. (laughs) Yeah, it's actual exterior shots. Oh, Christ. All right. (laughs) Then uh, we get... um, There's a drunk dude um, who... I kind of gathered was the first mate because he seems to get away with a lot of stuff so i'm assuming mr. he was Sean, mr yes. Sean, yeah and and he is one of my favorite like in the film he ended up being one of my favorites really because he is, well he is played so well all right like he's such a villain yeah he's so evil i suppose you know it's that kind of thing of like he's the really like you know he'll happily leave davy in the hole to die he'll happily beat a young child up yeah like he's just because Mr. Ransler, who's the the captain, um, isn't actually you know he's kind of kind of a gentleman, kind of kind of a gentleman rogue. They're almost pirates, um, not pirates. Their their motivations are a bit fuzzy, aren't they? We never really find out what. Well, they're slavers. Yeah, 
just what they are, yeah. essentially. Um, yeah. But um, fortunately, we don't see any actual slaves in this film. We're just told about them, I think. Well, what used to happen when they're talking about Davy being sent, sold as a, a, um, an indentured servant, is that this did happen, um, and Aberdeen was a hub for it. Right. They used to steal small children and young boys and sell them as indentured servants. And in the Carolinas, I think it was roughly only one-third of indentured servants would survive the seven years. Oh, fun and games then. Mm, exactly. And do you remember a film called A Man Called Horse? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Yeah, about an indentured servant who escapes and lives with the um, the Native Americans. All right. He, that, that's a real person, and he was from Aberdeen. He was kidnapped when he was about eight or nine mm. and sold to the Americas. So, you know, Davy is in real peril at this stage. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And we, as you say, this bad guy, we see him slapping the kid about a bit. Um, but the mm. kid reveals that he's made a shiv that he's going to, if he carries on, he's going to kill him with. Um, yeah. And the cabin boy agrees to help Davy. And Davy kind of tells him that, you know, technically I'm the laird of the house ashore. And he's like, well, tough shit, mate. You're off to the Carolinas now. <laughs> <laughs> What does that have to do with anything you're about to be sold as a slave? (laughs) Lol. Um, And then the captain comes back and kind of says, you know, nothing personal, mate, but I've got to make some money off you. So I'm off to take you to to be. (laughs) Yeah, don't 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 hold me accountable for any of my actions. Don't worry about it. Um, It's just business. And off screen, we then hear a big scream and it turns out Mr. Shaw's has uh, killed the cabin boy, which I was just like, wow, I was not expecting that. It felt a bit full on for so early in the film and yeah Yeah. but it was it sets you up that this is going to be a dangerous film um Mm -hmm. and davy gets made the new cabin boy and then there's a fog rolling in so they're all having to listen for the breakers on the islands um because they're still just uh traversing the hebrides then they smash into a small fishing boat and a dude ends up on the rigging Climbing aboard. The rest of the crew have all died, but he's managed to get on board. And this is our mate, Alan Breck. Yes. Alan Breck Stewart. Yes. Um, He's very fond of telling people. (laughs) Yeah. And damn anyone who's a Campbell. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like like the guy from before. Um, Exactly. He explains that he was trying to get to France um, because he's loyal to the... He, well, he's definitely not loyal to the English king. I got that. So this is set in 1751. So it's set six years after the 1745 rebellion. So it's Charles, Body, Body Prince Charlie, yes. he's talking about. Right. He talks about the Stuart King. Um, yeah, but he's he's um, he calls himself, he says he bears the name of a king, but that doesn't necessarily mean he, he is a steward, if that makes sense. Because in Scotland, lots of people didn't have surnames. Right. So they would take the surname of their chief. Right. So your clan system doesn't necessarily mean you're related to that clan. It just means that your family were the servants. (laughs) Sure. Um, And obviously this film takes absolute pains to explain all of this to us doesn't it oh obviously yeah (laughs) and the other thing i think that that stevenson assumes you'll know is about the glencoe massacre yes which i also did not (laughs) yeah so the campbells the campbells have 
a terrible reputation in Scotland right. for, you know, being servants of the, the colonising um, English king and massacring their friends. So Bastards. Yeah, bastards. <laughs> <laughs> no, hashtag not all Campbells. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just finished re-watching all of Mad Men and Pete Campbell in that is a right bastard, so maybe that's uh, there you go, maybe it's intentional. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, so, th- yeah, he was on his way to France and he offers to pay to get back there, um, but the captain's like, nah, mate, I'll just plop you back where I found you, so... <laughs> They're, they're mm-hmm. going to leave him in Scotland still when they go near, near a port. And the captain asks Davy to basically sneak some powder out of that room and some shot. Because the plan is that they're just going to, they're just going to kill him. They're not bothered. Yeah. They're just going to chuck him overboard. But Dave, but Davy's a little snitch and grasses on them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically Davy and Alan are going to fight against the whole crew. Uh, for their survival and we they batten down the hatches and we get our first little gunfight which is pretty fun mm-hmm. lots of swashbuckling but beforehand they politely kind of just tell the captain like by the way it's go time get ready for uh get ready for a fight so <laughs> they're very they're very honest gentlemen they give them chance to arm themselves <laughs> and it's that usual sort of film thing of there's, they're being attacked by a huge mob. They kill two people, and the whole mob, <laughs> mob flees. <laughs> exactly, um, and but they're absolutely fine. Yeah, you know they're fine, unscathed. Bullets cannot hit them. Yeah, but they're protected by their virtue. Yeah, and yeah, so that happens. Oh, and Dave, Davy, Davy kills a man. Davy kills a man and cries about it um, mm-hmm. because obviously it's his first kill ever. And Alan's very understanding, and so he's obviously a quite a quite a strong guy, but also very sympathetic to others. Um, yeah. Then the next morning, um, the, the note I've just put was Mister Campbell can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, it's bloody Campbell. Yeah. So that's when we have our Campbell uh, fight about how shit they are. Um, at this point, I realised that. Um, I'm a person, I I often, when I'm watching films and stuff, and just people in general, I'm always watching their mouths, and I find it easier to understand what people are saying. I very much always mm-hmm. am watching people's mouths. And so I I'm I hate bad dubbing in a film, overdubbing. And Peter O'Toole's yeah. dubbing, especially in this section where he's getting angry, is so out of sync, it's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, hang on. Um, you're thinking of Peter Finch. Peter O'Toole doesn't play... Um... Alan Breck. Peter Finch plays Alan Breck. Oh, I got it wrong. Yeah, so Peter O'Toole is the young boy. Ah, I've got them mixed up. That's why. Yeah. Um, Whereas um, it's Peter Finch who plays Alan Breck. Right. Too many Peters. (laughs) Too many Peters. Too many Stevensons. Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, his his dubbing was shocking at this point. Um, And, yeah, under my notes were, Mr. Campbell can suck it. It's a clan thing. That's what I've written. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, there is the whole, as there has to be in Scotland, you know, the whole Catholic versus Protestant thing going on as well. Yeah. So Davy's a Whig. He's a, a Protestant. And he's a Lowlander. Oh. Whereas the Highlanders are a different breed. Highlanders were known for being very tall, very strong, very manly, <laughs> you know, 
breaking open deer with their teeth and, you know, <laughs> tossing cavers. And whereas the Lowlanders were soft. Right. And basically English. Okay. Um, was the way they were seen. Um, sure. Yes. Uh, but again, just so actually, what we needed in this kids film, a, a Scottish history lesson. Yes. You you kind of do need, you need context. You need something to kind of say, this is why this matters. Yeah. Because if you don't know anything about Scottish history, it's like, well, why, why is this a problem? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but actually I have to say in his defense, I don't think Peter Finch does a bad Scottish accent. No, his, his accent is all right compared to everyone else's pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, he was actually someone who'd, who'd grown up in France and India and he has, Australia, um, and I think he kind of manages the burr better than some of them do. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where my notes for the first part of Kidnapped End, Kidnapped Ends, <laughs> and then to give context of how long it was between me watching that and the rest of the film, um, there's now three separate without a mouse episodes written in here, and then we get back to Kidnapped. <laughs> um, so it was that gripping for you then? Oh, absolutely. Well, no, it's because I was waiting for you to get the bloody film. Yes, yes. You did send me a message though a couple of days ago uh, saying, I'm going to need you to explain what's going on in this bloody oh, film. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, as well as not understanding Scottish history, I often couldn't understand literally what people were saying. The language was too flowery and it was like... They'd, they'd be having a jolly little walk. Like, it feels like the dialogue and what you're seeing on screen are two separate things because essentially it's about these two characters going on an adventure through these beautiful mm. sceneries and meeting all these characters. But the whole time they're just slagging other people off and talking about things completely unrelated to what I'm seeing <laughs> half exactly, the time. But that, like I said, I think part of the problem with the film is that Stevenson is too faithful to yeah. it. So you need he doesn't want it's exact i mean this could be used as spark notes right yeah if you were studying this book in school and you didn't want to read the book you could watch this film and pretty much i think skim a b put it that way <laughs> like it's so faithful to the book that there's no wiggle room yeah and i think that's kind of what's missing because even stevenson writes a preface to the novel explaining some of the context really? you know even the author and his wife, his wife writes another preface to it as well. Both of them knew that not everyone who was reading this book was going to be like, oh, yes, the 1745 Rebellion. I know all about that. Jacobites. Fantastic. Which is weird because Disney's um, not immune to putting like a good chunk of text at the beginning of their films to explain what's going on. I mean, the amount of Disney films you've got that start with Once Upon a Time, like we could have had that. You could have had that, but I think that Stevenson maybe, I mean, RLS was a lot more popular back in the day. Mm. So, you know, he was someone who the majority of people would have read. Right. Um, and I think that Stevenson, like I said, he, he wrote this film while he was on holiday in Scotland. Right. He was clearly somebody who really knew a lot about Scotland. Just forgot that other and people I think he. <laughs> Just forgot other people don't. Because when, I mean, this is the man who, who directed Mary Poppins. It's not like he wasn't a good director. He is so scattershot, though, because all the shit films we've watched in this 
series have all been him. He's prolific. <laughs> Basically, when a film says directed by Robert Stevenson, it means nothing to me anymore because it could be terrible. It could be brilliant. I think he was the only director Disney had for about 40 years. <laughs> and he just directed Absolutely everything. everything. <laughs> it's Wednesday. It must be Was this. he even yeah, a real exactly. person? Has anyone ever seen him? <laughs> No, he was. Oh, what's that name that they put at the end of credits when someone doesn't want to be associated with the project? Oh, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think he was one of those people who just seemed to do everything. Oh, yeah, it's Alan Smithy. Oh, right. Okay. So if ever you see Alan Smithy on a film, it means that the director has requested to have his name taken off the project. <laughs> <laughs> so that's who Robert Stevenson was. He clearly didn't exist. Yes. He was just the Alan Smithy of his it day. It was just Walt Disney, but with a silly hat on. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I think he's just too much in love with the project yeah. that he doesn't, he can't see it from the outside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, two yeah. two months later, I came back to this film, and uh, so Alan cuts off one of his buttons and gives it to David, and basically says, "This is all my mates know about me buttons. If you ever run into trouble, you can just say that you knew me, and here's me button." Um, and then ding dong, Avon calling, it's the captain at the door. Um, and he's like, I'm out of staff because you've killed half of them um, due to your round of redundancies. <laughs> so uh, we're going to have to have a recruitment drive in Glasgow. <laughs> uh, that's obviously not what he said, but I've, it's the gist. But yeah. <laughs> you laid off too many people and now there's no one to fulfil the role. Yeah. Um, then he does sort of suggest that maybe Alan and um, Davy might want to work for him. Yeah. But they're like, nah. you know, okay, I'm still going to sell you into slavery, but you don't mind, you know, trimming the the sail while we while we plan to do that. <laughs> it's do like you? if you want to survive to getting to any kind of shore, you'll have to. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and then they're coming up against a reef, um, so they're panicking that they're going to run aground. Um, and there's some really good uh, buckets of water being thrown over everyone's heads in this scene. <laughs> very uh, very old school kind of uh, shooting this bit. Um, then snap crash by they're all uh, marooned on the island and we never hear from any of uh, the slavers after this point so they might be all dead you don't really know well no they're not dead because then he meets the islander the islander or the highlander he tells him that they've all disappeared off oh i thought they just said alan basically all right he says Alan had, and the rest had all disappeared off to Glasgow, ah, right. I think he says. Then, just to make so, things even more yeah. confusing, the islander that he meets um, begins speaking in Gaelic, and it took a whole, like, two sentences for me to realise that I wasn't supposed to be able to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but, you're not meant to understand that. That's, that very much marks him as being kind of different. I don't know if I've ever heard Gaelic spoken before, but... I don't think this man was speaking Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak Gaelic, so I'm afraid I cannot speak to that. But given how absolutely obsessive Stevenson seems to have been in, in most other regards, I think he might have been speaking some form of gibberish. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've seen um, in this show, especially in one of our Dinosaurs is Missing, some very horrific... Um, Yes. And, and Herbie as well, actually, <laughs> in The Love Bug. Lots of dialogue that is clearly made up language supposed to be Chinese. So I was very kind of, my my, bu- my bum was clenching a bit when I heard this uh, supposed Gaelic, because I'm pretty sure it's not. 
<laughs> I would need to investigate that, I'm afraid. I didn't yeah. look that bad, that bit up. But um, Davy says, you know, help me to the mainland and I'll give you five shillings. Um, then they get they go over the hills and far away. Like this is that's literally a line that is spoken. Um, and the guy asks for another five shillings to carry on. Um, then when Davy refuses, he gets out a big fuck off knife, like the biggest knife you've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. So Davy throws his shoes in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bit of the glen where they are when they film that, because that is an outdoor um, scene. Yeah. That's actually just down for that glen. Um, Etterick, that's where, just down from where my brother lives. All oh, right, cool. Yeah, because I recognise the the mountain behind them. Once, I was like, oh, I know where that yeah, is. Yeah, once so that was pretty once cool. we get into Scotland proper, the the scenery is beautiful. Like it's it's nearly all on location, and it is quite visually quite nice um, from here on in. Mm. Um, yes, I quite like the bit where the guy because you see him with the knife at the beginning, and it's very kind of. Um, Chekhovian, it's like, here is a big knife. This big knife is going to be important later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, um, yeah, he meets the ferryman who has obviously spoken to Alan earlier because he mentions the button. Um, mm. th- and he offends him terribly because he assumes that when he met the previous Highlander and Highlander once paid, yes. he just starts off by giving the guy money and the guy's like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, he gets, he's like, uh, I'm a gentleman. Yeah. Why would you insult me like for that? For shame, for shame. <laughs> then uh, yeah they're on the ferry and he's saying you know like go over there then then when they get to the other side there's some horsemen arrive and i'm like oi mate um you know davy's like where will i meet king of the glens and at this point i was like i really don't know what's going on in this film because i was like why are we asking about the king of the glens what have i missed at this point so this is james stewart and he's told to ask for james the glen right but the problem is what he what because this is like how naive Davy is. Um, James was on the run from the Redcoats, yeah, um, and hiding in the Glen, hence James of the Glens. So he's basically wandered into sort of like an American encampment and gone. Anyone know where the Taliban are? I'd quite like to have a chat with them, please. You know, it's like no, like, you've just basically announced that you're looking to join up with Bin Laden. That's not a good idea. It was at this point though that um, I kind of realised I didn't know what the the rest of the plot of the film was. Like now he's been shipwrecked, I didn't know what our mm-hmm. intentions were, where we were trying to get to, and why. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing that you've got that that is interesting is the murder that you see alan breck was a real person right. so what stevenson did this this novel is he incorporates a few real people right. or historical figures so alan breck stewart was a real person quite famous it, he was kind of like you know a robin hoodish type character in scottish folklore right. and the murder that you see alan breck was is a real murder the appen murder right so that actually happens and alan is suspected of it right um, and James of the Glens, James Stewart, actually ends up standing trial for the murder. Ah. So, all shit that I yeah, obviously of, knew in this film. <laughs> well, that's like I said, that's the problem. Is that even even Stevenson, you know, knew that not everyone was going to know about the Athen murders, which is why he puts it in the introduction. <laughs> He's like, "Well, I changed the year 
and I've changed some of the things, but the app and murders are this yeah. and kind of explains it. Whereas this Robert Stevenson is just like, everyone will know what the app and murders mm. are. Well, no, why would they? <laughs> <laughs> My friend context. Yeah. But then the King's Men are obviously start chasing uh, Davy um, with their mm-hmm. beautifully silly little Pope hats that I love. I think they're <laughs> the most impractical thing to be wearing in out, you know, open warfare that you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Also, bright red coats in the middle of the Scottish green country, or oh, brownish countryside. Yeah, I always think yeah. that's really one of the interesting things that we learned in school about sort of like the First World War and how that's the first time anyone considered not wanting to be seen. Like, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. it wasn't, it was it that it wasn't considered gentlemanly. Wasn't yeah, and it? you basically you. If you were going to war, you needed the other side to know that you were going to war and who they were aiming at, which is just madness. <laughs> Um, something I didn't realise, I only uh, realised, well, only re- I only really thought about a few weeks ago, was that guns at the time were so inaccurate. Mm, yeah. You know the whole thing about you brought a knife to a gunfight? Actually, a knife often served you better, because yeah. like, when they're shooting at him and they can't hit him, that's not actually... Guns at that time were pretty much only accurate to sort of like 10 feet. And the other thing is, once you've fired it, you've got another 10 minutes to reload it. So you don't <laughs> so you don't need to reload your knife. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. The knife is more energy efficient yeah. of the two weapons. But yeah, so uh, Davy and Alan run away, hide in a haystack. Um, and Davy kind of says, you know, I'm off now, Alan. A dude got shot and it won't me. So um, and no one's going to blame me because um, the world is just and I'm innocent. And obviously, Alan mm. kind of displaying his Protestant privilege. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Alan explains, well, they're not going to give a shit like they'll still convict you or whatever um mm-hmm. and yeah so but they he, they kind of agreed to stay together but then by night davy says the same i'm not a baddie um and so we're gonna part ways and if i'm caught i'll be okay because i'm innocent um and he's just angry at his uncle right now and yeah alan again says you know like hell kid you're gonna get caught um and you'll you'll end up hanging if you leave. So Davy agrees to stay again, um, and they kind of point and say Glencoe is that way. And I was like, right, well, I guess yeah. that's where we're going then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up because I didn't know what was happening. Exactly. Um, and then they see the army again, so they hide in a waterfall. Um, and and that's a pretty cool scene actually. I quite like yeah, that. Yeah, and one. it's kind of it it doesn't doesn't forward the plot, but it just. Again, it's it's a good way of using like Scotland as a place, and it's kind of yeah, it mm. it really is these little bits that were actually quite nice, fleshed it out a bit. It's night in the woods, and they get jumped. Um, but Alan's like, "Get off! I'm Alan Stewart. Do you know, don't you know who I am?" <laughs> and it turns mm. out that yeah, it's they found the boss man. So was this was this James of the Glen then? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So he's a Jacobite supporter. Yeah, boss um, man is what I put. <laughs> boss man. Yeah, he's the big boss. And he just he explains that he's he's lost his estate, but they're all living in this little sort of shanty town. And obviously, being Scottish, they all celebrate with some more whiskey and cards. <laughs> and again, naive Davy doesn't believe in gambling, um, and because he promised his father. Yeah. Oh, bless yeah. his little cotton oh, socks, Davey. and they nearly come to fisticuffs. 
Then in the morning when they're leaving, Alan's kind of just like, oh, by the way, I lost all of our money uh, gambling last night. So <laughs> maybe Davy was right to be a bit naive. Um, but the boss man eventually agrees to give Davy a little bit of money after getting angry that suggesting that he should anyway, but he does. So he obviously... Well, he more gets angry that Davy would think that he would keep the money. <laughs> His actual offence isn't that that he um Davy thinks he'll keep the money. It's more that his actual anger is that as a gentleman, of course he wouldn't keep this money. Mm. Um the Highlanders were famous for being very prickly about being gentlemen. Right. So when Mr Johnson and um his little sidekick make their tour of Scotland, um they make note of that that the Highlanders are the Highlanders all speak like gentlemen and they're women like fine ladies. <laughs> so there was a very much a feeling that the, the lowlanders were these uncouth urbanites, you know, the the grubby little hands in the in the king's pot, mm. so to speak. <laughs> right. And the Highlanders were, were true gentlemen. So Davy causes great offence a lot by not not kind of realising mm. that and treating everyone like they're interested in money. I think in a lot of films, um you kind of you follow the naive character so that when things like this happen, because we don't know all of this, mm. this backstory. So by following the yeah. naive character, they kind of stand in for us and we're learning as they're learning. But, exactly. but I feel like... Which does not happen in this film at all. Like, at no, all. Yeah, the problem is it's overboard with this film. Like, there are too many instances where, like, people react and I'm like, well, I've, I had no way of knowing how they were going to react. And it's, I can't be, I can't, invest emotionally in anybody because i don't know what the hell they're going to do at any time (laughs) exactly and i think that's the thing like i often get frustrated when films over explain things i'm like for the love of god i can i can put that together from the context this film's like here's the deep end i'm gonna shove you in it (laughs) yeah swim (laughs) that's it so yeah after finding this guy um they then leave the next day and i was like so where the where are we going? Where are we going? I thought this was where we were supposed to end up. We've ended up there and left. So I genuinely didn't know what the plot of this film was at this point. I just was completely <laughs> it's not explained lost. At no. All. So the, the conversation where where they basically go, let's get you to Edinburgh and get your inheritance back is not covered. No, they at never all. even mention it until they get there. Um, so yeah, they're following round, and again, quite a cool shot of um, them uh, in the mist, and they're going past uh, lots of ancient standing stones. So again, it's the, Scotland is very much, you know, it is a love letter to Scotland. This film, and that is the one mm-hmm. part that they definitely get right is all of the exterior shots. Um, Davy's mm-hmm. being a Mardi bum. I can't remember why. I only watched it the other day, but the note I put was Mardi bum Davy. <laughs> but again. They completely miss out because the build up to this is all through the book. Alan is needling Davy about being like not a true Scot, right. being a lowlander, being a Whig, being um, a Protestant. Yeah. Um, how much better the Highlanders are than the lowlanders. The lowlanders are, you know, like I said, like the whole urban, mercurial, only interested in money, kind of money grabbing carpet baggers, if you want to think of it in those right. terms. Um, and again, they don't incorporate any of that into so Davy just becomes just Mardi like, <laughs> just becomes Mardi and then collapses in a melodramatic face I really like this shot after trying to stab Alan yeah. like, 
<laughs> it was. I really liked the look of this uh, this bog that they were in. It reminded me of the swamps of sadness from the Neverending Story. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as you say, Davy ends up plopping down face first in it. Um, then Alan obviously helps him up and stuff. And the next day, they see a, a sign for a hundred pound reward for Alan Stewart. Um, and there's a. I quite like this that bit. Was funny, yeah, because he's reading the description of himself and getting uh, more and more offended by how he's been described <laughs> on the poster. <laughs> yeah, you have to read the book at some point because Alan is a great character. You do kind of fall in love with him. He's very. Do you really think after watching this film, I'm likely to ever pick up this book? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can see why you might be put yeah. off. <laughs> and you basically, you you have basically read the book now. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then um, they, we meet a new lad who lets them into his house or some shit or whatever, or they're in a pub or whatever. I don't know. And then he says he's going to turn them in for the reward. Um, and then instead they have a rap battle essentially to decide who's going to win, uh, whether or not he goes. But And basically yeah, they, they get him to play the bagpipes. So they're staying in the house of, again, another actual historical person. They're staying in his button Ben, um, Douglas Dunn killed, is it? Um, and then Robert Ogg, Robert Ogg uh, McGregor turns up. And he is the son of Rob Roy McGregor. Sure, of course. Um, who obviously, that's like Batman. That's like, he was like, you know, he, no, he is like, he is more like, um, Oh, more like a Robin Hood character, Rob Roy McGregor. Right. Like he stood up, he um, fought, he kind of sold out at the end. And the guy who you see in the film, Robin, was a very bad mm-hmm. man, like a very bad man, committed several murders, um, rape, like a bad guy, a bad dude. Mm-hmm. Not good. So when they then duel with the bagpipes which is terrible i actually fast forwarded that bit because i cannot bear bagpipes <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> it was horrible i was just like nope not watching this <laughs> it was cringe it was terrible yeah and then they're all fine because they played some music at each other and it's all good and yeah then yeah. Uh, they end up on the bridge of sterling um and basically it's it marks the edge of the highlands and there's a guard on the bridge, so they're trying to figure out how they're going to get across. They can't swim. There's no boat. So then they see that an old lady crosses, and they don't even check to see who she is. Um, and it, the, the plan is that, you know, as long as we walk over as if everything's fine, then the guards aren't going to assume anything. And it really reminded me mm. of, um, again, a Scottish line from Lord of the Rings, or line spoken by a Scot. The closer you are to danger, the further you are from harm. <laughs> <laughs> but can I also say the second female character we see? Yeah, and it's the whole of Scotland is populated by men. Apparently, there are no and women. Ba- both of no women and both no of them are old crones gath- uh, carrying a big pile of shit. <laughs> yes, that is all women do apparently in Scotland. I had that. not even considered that, but you're completely right. We not even this film would not pass the Bechdel test. No, no. Well. Th- Oh, no, it wouldn't, would it? Because, no, the two characters never meet, yeah. I was going to say, the old lady no, and... doesn't want to shag anyone. She just wants to curse her house, but she never... She tells that to a man. <laughs> but she's still talking yeah. about a man. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then... 
Yeah, so they call this lady over and are like, here, love, can I buy you cigs? Um, and the plan is that it'll look even less um, like they're dodgy if they stop on the bridge to light a cigarette, uh, to light a pipe, sorry. Um, Because it'll Mm -hmm. seem like they're in no hurry. Then a second guard comes over, which is then even better for them because obviously he's going to be even less on guard as such because he'll be chatting to his mate. So, yeah, they run over and it's fine. But I think that's meant to show how complacent the English are. Oh, of course. And how how, um, colonised Sterling is. Right. That they don't even have to check people that... Sterling is clearly an English town. I see. Okay. Very, mm. very relevant to the plot and very... Uh... Completely relevant to the plot. I could write an entire essay about it, but not very useful for the film. <laughs> <laughs> Again, one line. That's all it would have taken. One line of like, look at them. This is how um, English this town is. We, they don't even need to check people coming in and out. Yeah. You know, that would have been it. That's all you need to explain something of what the hell is going yeah. on. Then... Then we finally get to into. So was this Edinburgh? Did you say? Um, I think I remember ending up in Edinburgh. It might have been probably, yeah. but they get to Rankeela's house, who's the lawyer, um, and this is where it's explained. Your uncle didn't steal the house. Um, they were fighting over a, a woman, him, his dad, and Ebenezer, and his dad took the lady, and Ebenezer took the estate. And this is the bit that I was just like, "What a load of bollocks!" Because Davy's like, "What about me?" And uh, the lawyer says that it is yours because although the estate was Eben- was legally Ebenezer's, now that your dad is dead, it becomes yours. And I was like, I'm not sure that's how it works. No, <laughs> that doesn't entirely make sense to me. It makes sense that as Ebenezer's nephew, he would inherit. From Ebenezer, but Ebenezer's not dead. Or was it that Ebenezer never really, he never, couldn't sign over the estate because it was entailed? So maybe he just left Ebenezer to oh, run it? for fuck's sake. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I actually cannot remember that. And that's never really explained. It's just like, Gip Davy, it's yeah. yours. So, then, so it might be explained in the book a bit better. But then the final sort of hurdle is that they need to prove um, that he is who he is um, and that mm-hmm. and that Ebenezer had tried to get him killed as well. So they go over to um, the House of Shores um, and the plan is that they get Alan out and they he he knocks on the door whilst the others are hiding um and basically says to Ebenezer I've got your nephew um you can pay me to have him back um and that's when Ebenezer uh, announces that he doesn't want him and he would rather pay to not get him back um and they have a to and fro but he won't pay to have him killed that's an interesting point with Ebenezer right at no point apart from the bit with the tower at no point he could have just paid the captain to kill Davy. Yes, but he doesn't. Oh, yeah, because that's something we've not he even paid... we've not even pointed out that it, we find out that Ebenezer actually arranged the kidnapping as well, didn't we? Because that's why yeah. we never get to see the note that the captain brings with the cabin boy because it was explaining him yeah. saying, "Yeah, all right, I'll 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 have you." So, uh, yeah, so this is where he admits I paid the captain twenty pounds to kidnap Davy. Which is as much as the captain would have got for selling him as a slave. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So we've the lawyers heard all this can prove something. I don't really get what. Like, <laughs> it doesn't prove that Davy is who he says he is. It just proves that Ebenezer wanted him dead. So I don't know. I don't know. Or didn't want him dead. Just wanted him elsewhere. I think it's not about proving who Davy is because Davy obviously would have had a birth certificate and there would have been a marriage register for his parents. I think it's more about giving them some leverage over Ebenezer. Right. Okay. Um, because. What isn't covered at the end of the film is that actually Davy doesn't take the estate. What Davy does, because he's a wanted man, right. let's not forget, <laughs> is that he takes a portion of a pension from the oh, estate and leaves Ebenezer there. <laughs> so he actually, at the end of the at the end of the book, doesn't get the estate. He says to Ebenezer, "Look, I don't want her. It's a rack and ruin. Well, that, I'm off to yeah, France." Yeah, that doesn't make a with, nice happy ending, um, does Alan. it? So. <laughs> no, but he buggers off to he buggers off to the continent with Alan, right. and takes some money from the estate and leaves Ebenezer to rot. Basically, whereas in this film, which is a much more satisfying ending, I yeah, because in this film Alan does still go off to France and they have their farewells and everything. Yeah. But we and we see Davy in a, in a brand new suit and in the inn from the beginning of the film, um, and. It kind of reminded me a bit of a panto, the way he had his nice togs at the end, like, especially because of the because <laughs> of the style. He looked like he was straight out of Cinderella. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? I see this. Uh, who is that fair maiden on and the And then hill? the film just abruptly ends. <laughs> the end. It's a frustrating film because there's so much about it that's kind of almost yeah. good. You know, it's got a great cast, great actors... They could really have played up the swashbuckling kind ofness of it all, um, but they just don't. It's really flat. Mm. Any other final thoughts whilst we're whilst we're on the topic? Um, though I think it's just yeah, it's why if you really love something, you probably shouldn't be the director. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, be prepared to go off script or be prepared to think like someone who doesn't know anything about the source material. Yeah. yeah. I agree. As you say, I think there is a good adventure buried under here. The problem is, the whole time it's trying to be an adventure film and a swashbuckler, th- it's bogged down with history and it's bogged down with... um being concerned with things that have already happened off screen and are not that mm-hmm. relevant because at the end of the day this is a it's it should be the story of a uh, a kid clearing his name and winning it back his estate but that's kind of what happens on the fringe of it like that's not the yes. it's not what the film's about at all um and or an absolute bromance between this older, sophisticated yeah. um, rebel and this young, law-abiding... It's the classic cop movie. Yeah, but... Well, it should know? be, but it's not. <laughs> but it's not. But it got... I mean, I have to say, final thoughts, it got terrible reviews. Absolutely terrible reviews when it I opened. I can imagine. Along the lines of, it's flat, it's boring, Treasure Island was much better yeah. than this. You know... No. <laughs> and it's obviously trying to catch a trend, isn't it? It's trying to repeat off the successes of Disney's Treasure Island because same yeah. same author, probably the same production crew, I would imagine, but it's... Different scriptwriters. Oh, is it? Right. Well, there we go then. Yes. There we are. 
Oh dear, it was it yeah. was a real slog, and for an hour and a half in two sittings, it shouldn't have felt as bad as it did. Um, no, I watched it and I thought, wow, I love. I remember watching this when I was a kid, and thinking, oh yeah. But I think when I was a kid, I very much wanted my films to be exactly like the yeah, book. kids do, don't they? You know how kids can be quite literal minded. Yeah. When when you. Nothing would annoy me more than someone going off script. Well, for my generation, that was when the Harry Potter films came out and they left out shed loads mm. of bits and pieces. So I, I get you with that one. But it's 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 too faithful to the book and it doesn't translate to a decent enough film at all. The one, th- <laughs> no, it as you say, though, the performances are all right. The main thing that it does get right is there is a a reverence for the place. So it is very... Scottish and the, oh. the scenery is very beautiful. And as a you know a, an advert to go on holiday to Scotland, I think it's it's probably quite successful. Yeah. But that doesn't make I don't want to watch a, a tourist advert for an hour. No, and I don't a half. want to pay. So I'm sorry that I chose this because I'm sorry that I made you watch something that was so. Boring. I'm very glad you say that because I really needed to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm- <laughs> right, gems then. How many gems are you going to give it? I think I'm going to give it a solid five. It's very faithful to the book. It's quite pretty to look at. There are some great performances in it that don't join up with any other performance in the film. Um, but you need a certain you'd need you would need a certain amount of knowledge about Scottish history to get anything out of this film. Yeah. Um so I think I have that so it's probably easier. But as a yeah, I think a solid a good attempt was made. Mm-hmm. But it didn't succeed. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm going to be even harsher and I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Oh that is that the lowest yet? Oh definitely not. I think uh I've I've given a one before. Yes. Oh, have you? See, I've only listened to the podcast for the ones of the films that I've seen, yeah. I'm afraid. So I'm probably being quite... I cannot express this enough to our listeners, but even despite this being a film that's incredibly difficult to uh, pin down, do not seek it out. It will not be an enjoyable no. experience. <laughs> There's a reason why this is quite difficult to yeah. get hold of. It's... It's not watch the nineteen seventies version with Michael Caine, Ooh, all right. where they they mix together um, Katrina, which is the sequel to ah. this, and Kidnapped. So they actually managed to get a speaking female part in the oh, film. Wow. It's a complete bastardization of of the, the books, but it's way more fun than yeah. this. This is not a fun film. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Do you know what this actually reminded me of? Do you know those um, BBC Shakespeare films that they always made you watch when you were at school? So yes. You know how there's like Shakespeare films where like Othello's a black baseball basketball player yeah. and his wife's having an affair with his teammate, um, or you know Romeo and Juliet are mafia boxes mm. children, and then there's like the BBC ones where everyone just stands there in white sheets and speaks to each other like yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this reminded me of. This reminded me of something that's not meant to be enjoyed, no. but is meant to be appreciated. Yeah, I think you're right. It, the only reason you would watch this is if you had to do some kind of essay or something on the on the film on on the book. Sorry. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, I would normally say thank you for joining us on the episode. (laughs) (laughs) And she'll never be asked again. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if if you're coming on again, I'm picking the film. It's decided. (laughs) Can I not just read um, the film? You've got your cat person, you know. Can I not, you know, you've got Mark for that. Can I not be the person who does uh, films based on books so I can explain the context? <laughs> Maybe that is a good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Treasure Island next. Oh, 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 now that's a good film. That is a good I've film. I've never seen yes, it. Yes, don't watch this, watch Treasure yeah. Island. That's my advice to everyone. Okay, great. Um, where can people <laughs> find you on the internet? Do you want people to find you on the internet or do you... I think I'd rather they didn't find <laughs> That's absolutely chance. fine. I, I don't blame you after this. You don't want to get... She's a woman of mystery people. <laughs> yeah, so um, you, if people want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at TimblesRH and the uh, Twitter for this podcast is at Podwam and we're also on Instagram at Without a Mouse. So that's it for another fortnight. Thank you again, Donna, for joining us. It's been ace terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> okay. See you soon. Bye. Oh. Without a Mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Four. Elsewhere, and we made this. The time is now. A Millennium Podcast. I have actually seen the 2006 Asylum movie, uh, The Da Vinci Treasure, which is one of these mockbusters or knockbusters. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible, apart from <laughs> one thing. Um, the antagonist of that movie is played by uh, an actor called Lars Henriksen. That's the only reason I watched oh, it. Right. Okay. Right. I, um, I watched it quite drunk, as I recall, which is probably the best way to watch it. But yeah. um, Lars is the only reason to watch that, so I'm not going to go and watch it. But it was very much a, a sort of knockoff of the, the same sort of um, storyline and so on. But um, yes, sorry, I've gone off topic there. But, it's um, okay. It's my fault um, for looking at Madame Brown books and I'm <laughs> thinking, why did I buy them in the first place? But <laughs> yeah, I was 18. So, I'll, yeah. I'll put it that I was 18. we played this where and when did your journey with video games begin you see this is why i couldn't i had to be honest about my age because (laughs) my first video gaming experience was the sinclair spectra oh specky guy (laughs) oh well you see we didn't have anything like that in our home and um i was old enough to have had a 48k but my dad kind of resisted. So I then, we did get the 128K and that had a built-in fucking tape deck, which was the (laughs) coolest thing in the 80s. Cinemortuary podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, so they kind of they kind of run around hell a bit, which to be honest doesn't look that bad. It just looks a bit, it just looks a bit like a night out in Doncaster. Yeah, it's just a bit janky, isn't it? They're, they're just in someone's basement. Yeah, exactly. I believe yeah. this is this is where we get the only bit of tit in the whole movie as well. Yeah, very briefly, <laughs> very, very briefly, yeah, very yeah. briefly. It, it's, yeah. it's there and it's gone.
The, the best part about this for me when I was watching it is at this point, just as they go into hell, my girlfriend stands up from her chair and tries to ask me what's going on. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. <laughs>